Mark chapter 9, um, we're in our series in Mark, just going one, one thing at a time, uh, whatever comes next, and uh, we get to a story today that maybe you've uh, heard before. I'm going to start in verse 30. Uh, last week we had a uh, communion service that was uh, just centered around 30 and 31, 32 uh, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to start there and then kind of just to kind of give us a running start at it. Um, so it says in verse 30, so they went on from there and passed through Galilee and uh, he didn't want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he's killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand this, the saying and were afraid to ask him. They came to uh, Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Okay, so let's just stop right there. Let's recap the disciples' greatest hits right here, okay? They, uh, Jesus makes the most clear statement, maybe of his ministry, right? I'm going to be delivered into the, the hands of men. I will be killed, and on the third day I'll rise again. Like, he's not talking in code. That's not a parable. You know, there's, no, there's nothing to figure out. It's the most plain thing in the world, and yet they don't understand it. And they're afraid to ask for clarification. They're afraid of Jesus. They're afraid to say, I have a question. Can you explain that more? And so they don't understand it, which says one thing. And then they don't, they're afraid to ask for clarification. That says another thing. Then they start out on the road. And they're having a conversation about which one of them is the most awesome, you know? And then when Jesus calls them on it, they're like quiet, like, you, you know, like if kids misbehave and you're like, hey, what are you doing? And they're like totally quiet. You're like, oh, this is not good, you know? So these guys are like, they're, I like to use the word obtuse uh, just to be kind to them, um, but they're, they're just not getting it. And that's such a theme through the book of Mark. Uh, it's not to mock them, but just to show like the slow, like onset understanding that comes with, uh, with just how the natural thing went. And so, um, but I don't really want to focus on their density necessarily right now. I want to focus on what, what is revealed here. Um, what we see as like the bigger problem is, is their battle with greatness. You know, they're talking among themselves about who is the greatest, and that is not an ancient problem. It's obviously a very modern problem as well. Um, because we all desire like, great things out of our lives. right? Everyone. Everyone desires for their life to, uh, to make a difference. For their life to count for something. They, we all want to do these, these really big, amazing things with our lives. That's, that is what is, is like the, the big wish of all of us. Whether you're talking to a young child, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or you're even talking like when you're into adulthood and what you're doing with your life. And, and there's, there's, there's a, a battle in adulthood where you, you kind of start to wonder, like, is this, is this the life I dreamed about back then? You know, there was a, there was a TV show that didn't, didn't make it very far. And the idea was they, uh, this show would start off and the first few minutes was an interview with a high school student. And in their senior year, and they're like, where do you think your life will be in 10 years? And so they're talking about where they think their life will be. And then the show cuts to that student 10 years later. 
and what they're actually doing, and they watch the tape of themselves, what they said, and they're kind of processing, is this where you thought you'd be in 10 years, you know, that kind of thing. It was really interesting. It was a terribly done show, but it was very interesting to think about, like, how all of us uh, aspire to these big things when we're younger, and it seems like the older you get, and you kind of, like, find your lane, you know, uh, it's easy to kind of wonder, I don't know, what's, go- what's going on with, with my life, and am I really, like, making an impact? Am I all these big dreams I have, am I able to actually accomplish them? And uh, I was listening to a sermon uh, that a guy uh, named uh, John Mark Comer preached on this, and he, he pointed out, he was very quick to say, look, um, you were created in the image of a, of a great God. He, he sees great things, and then he speaks them to, into existence. He accomplishes great things. He's He's not, uh, he's not an underachiever. He's like an overachiever. He's, so we're, we're made in this image of this great God, so it makes sense that we would aspire to greatness. You know, Basically what he was saying is it's not inherently wrong or evil uh, to desire these great things with our lives. And, and that was such a good like, reminder to me of, of the fact that, that yeah, like God, God definitely created us to be fruitful and to flourish. Like that's, his, that's what he wants for us. Um, when you connect us to the story, though, it shows us how, how bent that has gotten. You know, how this, like, this image of God that we are created in, greatness that we aspire to, has, has become twisted and broken to the point where, where uh, the object of that greatness and the source of that greatness is ourselves. Um, like, I'm, I'm as glad as anyone that LSU won the game last night, but from the warm-ups to the very end... There was not a lot of humility happening in that game, you know. They, they, every, both, everyone thought they were the most awesome thing in the world, taunting each other and all that stuff. I know that's a part of sports, but that really is a reflection of our world, you know, that we aspire for these, for these things. And, and so what we see here is, is we have, we have two, two conflicting ideas. One of them is the disciples present a kingdom of the world understanding of what a great life looks like. And they're debating over, over who is the greatest. Um, so it's really not that surprising, too, when you're like, if you had 12 young men, and they're like late teens, maybe early 20s, they're on a journey, it's not surprising. They're like, hey, I know what we can talk about. Who's the most awesome? Not Judas, <laughs> right? Like they course they're having this discussion because it's a very normal thing and and if you were to get down to the into the roots of where this um this like selfish ambition and vain conceit you know, that's what, what paul calls it if if you get down to the root of where that comes from there's probably a couple of things but let me just let me just pick on two of them and they're connected to each other one is competition like there's this competitive thing at like in the, the is in our world, and it's basically this idea that it's it's me against everybody. I'm competing with everyone. I'm competing with uh, sometimes an individual, or sometimes a group, or sometimes you know like the whole world doesn't really matter. But it's that competitive thing of like I um, I have to prove myself to you. I'm against you in some way. And the second thing it, it happens to also start with the letter C. It's not on purpose. Uh, the second word would be comparison. So it's, uh, as a result of the competition, now I'm going to compare myself and figure out where, where do I stack up in the herd until the next competition, you know? 
So it's like, I'm going to compete with you and then I'm going to figure out where I stand. I'm going to improve and then I'm going to like try again and try again and try again. And so those two feed one another to the point where we have this, this culture that rewards selfish ambition and vain conceit because we're so consumer driven that we kind of think it's awesome. And so we all get very caught up in it. And it happens really from the earliest of, of ages, if you think about it. You, st- you start off when you're little, and um, stuff like grades, I'm not against grades in school, you know, but let's just, let's think objectively for a second, all right? So um, you're in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, and there's this uh, competitive thing about grades, and so you take the test and you're scored and all this kind of stuff, and then... Um, you start to figure out a little bit of like, um, what'd you make? What'd you make? Oh, I'm better than you, not as good as you. Then comparison comes in. Makes you want to start to learn who, who you can beat and who you can't beat. So you start to compete against each other. And then they do this thing where they're like, hey, we're going to have an honor roll. you know? So then it separates out. So you're either in the honor roll and you're like, I'm more awesome than the honor, honor roll people. Or you're not in the honor roll people, group and you're like, oh, I must be dumb. Right? Not really. You're not really dumb, but there's a part of you. And so the more we separate that out, we, we fuel competition and we fuel comparison. And, and those things start to happen in, in, in school with grades. It starts to happen in sports. Where there's like all these different, you know, different kinds of things. And you begin to like separate out a little bit. Um, sometimes even with, even, even in the arts where it's like, oh, this, you're, what you did was so good. We're going to put it front and center at open house. So that little artist becomes really, really, uh, proud and confident and all the other ones are like well i guess guess mine was terrible you know and i'm not saying that we do away with honor roll or do away with all that kind of stuff. i don't know how you i don't know how you do all that and that's not really my point my point is we are trained when we're very young to compete with each other and then to compare ourselves and figure out where we are stacked up school can be a source of that home can be a source of that but my point is again don't come at me teachers or educators or whatever i understand there's more to it i wasn't trained in that too my point is, when we're very young, that's the normal world that, that when we send them out there, that's what they're experiencing. And hopefully they come back into our home and it's not a competitive, competitive, comparative environment. But, uh, and hopefully church is not one of those environments as well. But that's how the world functions from a very young age. Then you get into adolescence and you have those same things going, uh, but they actually intensify a little bit, you know. The academics become more intense, the sports, the arts, all those kind of things. Plus, you, you add to the mix... Um, like relationships, friendships, your little friend groups start to pair off a little bit. Uh, that's when people start to have boyfriends and girlfriends and all that stuff. And so that becomes a whole layer of it. There's, there's that whole weird social stratus thing that happens uh, when you're in, like, in adolescence at some point and, and all the social norms that come with that. And so there are all these other contexts where you're comparing yourself and you're competing with other people and those things are fueling each other and it's awful, right? Then you get into adulthood, and it's not like those things necessarily go away. You just keep adding more stuff to the mix. So you become an adult, and then you're dealing with uh, what job you have, how much money you make, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive, what kind of vacation you're able to take your family on, all that stuff. Uh, You get into adulthood, and you're suddenly, like, you're realizing, like, oh, that dude makes a lot more money than me, but we went to, we were in the same fifth grade class. That doesn't make any sense, you know? And, and like, oh, man, I'm, here I am looking at social media, and I see this guy who's my age, 
And he just took his family to Europe for six weeks and paid for everything, you know, and I could never take my family to Europe for six weeks and pay for everything. Uh, not, not at this point, maybe one day, but not today. But how can he, he do it now? He must be better than me or smarter than me or a better dad or a better earner or a better saver. Or, you know, like all these things happen and social media makes it a little bit worse, let's admit it. And as, as an adult, we are just, we're adding to all the things we learned as a kid and all the things we learned in adolescence. And now here we are still competing and still comparing and what happens is our, our joy absolutely goes away. Our hope begins to dwindle. We begin to settle uh, for less than those aspirations that we had for our lives to, to, to count. We, begin, we become convinced that now our lives don't count because we don't match up to the other people around us. Um, therefore, we are failures or we are coming up short or we are whatever. And depression sets in, Right? Or anxiety sets in, or we become workaholics to try to get there, and and it all just grows up together in this bizarre way to where we read about these twelve young men walking around talking about who's the greatest, and at first we're like, what a bunch of obtuse fools, but but if you think about it, we're we're caught in the same same kinds of things. We just may not admit it as much. That might not be what we choose to write about on social media or talk about sometimes with people is the confession of I'm completely caught in the rat race of comparing myself and competing with everyone around me and I don't really know what to do about it. So this is not an ancient problem. This is a, this is a human problem. Our own brokenness has, has taken those aspirations that were once God-centered and God-sourced and has bent them back to ourselves to where we're man-centered and man-sourced. And then we wonder sometimes why we are like, man, I'm not so happy with my life. So Jesus does this, does this, this, this incredible thing where he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't look at them or you and me and just shake his head and say, when are you going to get it? I cannot believe that you are so obtuse, to use my word. He doesn't do that to them. He doesn't make fun of them. He doesn't ignore it. He just presents to them an accurate definition of what greatness is. Says, you're, you're abiding by the definition of greatness that comes from the broken world. I've come to save you from the kingdom of the world and bring you into the kingdom of God. Let me show you how God defines greatness. He gives this gift to them and to us. So let's look at what he says. Verse 35. Sat down, called the twelve, said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If you want to be, you want to be first, you need to be last. Now, that's one of those statements where I feel like when I read it, at first I know what he, what he I was like, I know what he means, and then I start to think about it, I'm like, I'm not sure I know what he means. So if you want to be first, you have to be last of all, servant of all. In other words, the truly great among you, like the truly great lives are the ones that are lived, putting the interests of others ahead of their own. Taking the form of a servant. Not to be served, but to serve. Not to be the, the greatest by the world standards, but to just serve in humility and kindness and goodness. 
when God looks at that life, he sees one that is, and that, like, that's a life that makes an impact. That is a life that makes a difference. That is a life that absolutely counts. It doesn't matter what you do for a living or how much money you make. Does it, does it matter where, you're, where you take your kids on vacation? It doesn't matter like all these kinds of things, all these things caught up in the other definition of greatness. He says, no, let me free you from that and let me just release you into just putting others ahead of yourself. That, that's greatness. Now, I find that to be a little bit hard to apply because it's easy to think that that's like another way of saying like, we, you don't really have to like try very hard at stuff, you know? Like it would be easy for, for us to say, oh, okay, so that just means um, whatever it is I'm trying to do or I'm trying to like aspire to great things uh, I just don't have to like work hard at my job. I don't have to like take good care of my family uh, in, in all those kinds of ways. I just have to like do the dishes every now and then, you know? And so I was thinking through it and, and I was, I, for some reason went to the idea of like a, if you have a guy who's a Christian, he's, he's a major league baseball pitcher and he reads this verse, he comes to church, he hears this verse and he's like, okay, so if I really want to be great then I have to be the be last and be servant of all. So the next time I like a batter, I'm I'm facing a batter instead of trying to strike him out. I'm I need to put his needs ahead of my own. So I'm just going to, I'm going to make some nice, easy pitches that he can absolutely crush so that his batting average goes up so that his, the value to his team goes up so that when he goes to do contract negotiations, he can make an even more absurd amount of money. Um, so that he can take, like, do well for his family and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to put his needs ahead of my own. Here's, like, a nice, easy, easy one right across the plate. And the guy hits it out of the park, and he's like, good job, buddy. That's for you. I did that for you. Next guy comes up, same thing. Like, is that what, what Jesus is saying? Is, like, don't, don't work hard. Don't, like, don't do, like, I don't know. So I was just I was thinking about that for a second. Like, what would that, what would the attitude, how does the major league pitcher, who's a Christian, how does he put the needs of the, of the opposing batter ahead of his own? I think it'd be more like this. I think, I think that pitcher would still try his hardest to strike that guy out. Like he would, he would try to strike him out. But then it's about the results of that experience, I think, that would determine is he living consistently with this or not. So if he, if he tries to strike him out and he does strike him out, uh, like talking trash to the guy would not be like would not be what Jesus is talking about here. So it would be working hard, striking him out, and in so doing, not bragging about it, not putting the guy down, not, you know, taunting the crowd or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, it might even be going to him afterwards, you know, and, and like, bring, like bring it up, be like, hey man, that was, that was awesome, that was fun, I can't wait till we play again, you know, kind of thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like there could be some like actual like goodness that's there in that. Or if he doesn't strike the guy out, if, he, if he's trying his hardest, but the guy just gets one and just, just, you know, hits a home run or whatever, after the game to congratulate him and be like, you got me that time, we'll see, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun next time around, that was good, I don't know how you hit that pitch, but it was amazing, you know, something like that. You, know, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's, it, it's not about, like, the things that we're doing as much as it is, like, how are we treating the people around us as we're doing that? Um, Probably not a lot of major league pitchers in here today. I don't, I don't think we're too far from 
from that for him to be here, right? So let's let's maybe go into a more like practical thing. Like let's talk about instead of pitching like major league fastballs, let's talk about like doing the dishes. Right? Is that a little more applicable? Like you you do the dishes because you want to bless your family, your roommates, whoever it might be. Bunch of dishes, you go in, you clean them. How do you how do you live in this kind of greatness in light of that action? Uh, well, you you don't brag about it, right? You don't hold it over their heads later on. You know, you don't you don't use it as leverage to not have to do something else. You know, you just do the dishes. And if they thank you, awesome. If they don't thank you, awesome. That's not why you did it. You're you're just serving your family or serving your roommates. You're you're putting their needs ahead of your own. You're like, I'm going to do the dishes so that they can do other things, that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's it's about the action and it's about the heart behind it and it's about what do you do with that later on. Another example, you 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 cut your neighbor's yard because they've had a lot going on and you know it's just like you know what's going on they haven't had time to cut the grass that's fine you cut their yard uh what you what you do is you probably just don't tell anybody that you did it you know you don't tell your neighbor hey neighbor hope things are going good i'm going to cut your yard just just so you just so you know you don't need to tell him that you tell him that enters into a whole possibility for selfish ambition and vain conceit. When Jesus talks about, like, not, not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing, that there's, like, if you want to remove the approval of man from something, then don't let man know what you did to approve of it. So cut your neighbor's yard and just don't tell anybody. It's just, it's that easy. You don't have to, you don't have to tell anybody in your family or any of your friends. You don't have to use it later on and be like, well, I mean, he never cut my grass, but I got lots going on too, but I cut his because I'm such a good servant. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's kingdom of the world stuff. Kingdom of heaven stuff is you just put their needs ahead of your own and you just, you just go about your life. Somebody's on your heart to pray with them and you, you pray with them um, because that's what we do. You know, it's like, hey, I know this is going on. Let's, let's pray together. I want to, I want to carry you to Jesus in this. Um, you just, you, you do those, you just do that. You don't tell people, you don't bring it up. You don't talk about how much, how much you tithe, you know, and, and what, what you did here and all the things that you're doing. You, we just go about our lives being who he made us to be. And instead of like letting us get puffed up by what we've done, um, we just put the needs of, of others ahead of ourselves and we just continue through our lives. We are not trying to be served. We're here to serve. And so it's a very, it's, it's simple. But what that does is that it takes comparison and competition and takes those things and it, it deflates them. So you're competing because, you know, you're in a situation where you have to, you're competing, but whatever happens at the end of it, that's, that's fine. You don't have, it doesn't mean you have to compare yourself. When you stop comparing yourself, you're like, I'm just going to work hard. I'm going to do the things God has called me to do. But the greatness that gets God's attention is when you're, when it's about taking care of the people around you in a way that isn't about you. It's about them. So he takes that, that idea. I hope that, I hope that makes sense kind of comparing those two. And then he goes one step further. Verse 36. He took a child 
put him in the midst of them, and taking his arms, he said to him, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So he's like there, and I don't know if they're maybe not tracking along, but there's a kid there. He says, hey, come see, and he takes the kid. He says, you receive the children. And when you do, it's like you're receiving me, you're receiving God as well. And that doesn't really make as much sense to us as it would have to them because we live in a very like children-centered culture, you know? Like everything kind of revolves around the kids and their schedules and their activities and all that kind of stuff. Like they're they're very much the central figures in the rhythms of our lives. But in this in this time, that was that was not the case. It was very much the opposite. Children were they were not really that significant until they got to like a certain age. They were just kind of like, uh, like help around the house, you know, some more hands, like all that, that kind of stuff. There was, it, just, it, just wasn't, it just wasn't the same way. And, and really, they were as overlooked and ignored as anyone else in the culture. It just wasn't a big deal. That's why the bar mitzvah is like a big, it's like a big thing. Because that, that's like the big marker of going forward. But until then, not really a big deal. And so what, he's, what he is saying culturally that they would have heard is, when you, when you receive the most overlooked and ignored among you, like when you put their needs ahead of your own, when that's who you're welcoming into your life, that, that's greatness. That's, that's receiving God as well. He says something very similar in Matthew 25. You don't need to turn to it, but in 35 and 36, he says, uh, he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. All throughout the scriptures we see these, these themes. The poor, the, the orphan, the widow, uh, the stranger, you know, those who are journeying through a strange land, those who are sick in, in, so, in some sort of way, those who, who's, who physically are not uh, functioning 100%. Like all those, those different groups of people put the children in the mix with them all of them are overlooked and ignored in that world. And you think about our own equivalents today. And I'm not going to even give a list. But there are, there are people in certain situations that we just overlook, ignore, and push to the margins. And what Jesus is telling them when he takes that child and puts them... He's, the kid is sitting on his lap. Like, think about visually. Visually, he puts them right there with him says when you receive one of them it's just like receiving me when your love goes all the way to the margins like this that's a great life that is greatness which is why the church leads the way in foster care in adoption it's why the church leads the way with hospice and hospitals Soup kitchens and clothes closets and shelters and all those things. No one has like championed that and piloted that more than Christians over the course of history. We're the ones boots on the ground. I'm not saying that it's perfect. I'm not saying that, that by any means. But when you look at what the church has done, she has been the one caring for these people pushed to the margins and overlooked. The refugees, the immigrants... 
all the cycles of poverty and joblessness, all these things, we are like created to care for them. And to somehow, with our lives, let that love and care go go through our like families and friends and church and into our, our co-workers and our neighborhoods and all the way to the ends, all the way to the margins, all the way to the borders, so that um, greatness is redefined through, through the loving expression of the church. Verse 38, after this, which to me, I'm like, I, I, I have no more questions. Like I, I need to like do some self-examination. I have more questions. Then John speaks up. John said to him, uh, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Like, like facepalm. Like that's like the facepalm verse to me. Like, come on, man. Jesus just redefined your entire, the entire focus of your life. You need to go have some quiet time somewhere. And he's like, uh, this guy was casting out demons, but he's not one of us, so we told him to quit. And what I think is, I think there's a little bit of comparison and competition going on there, because earlier in chapter 9, what were they unable to do? Cast out a demon. They came across someone who was able to do something that they were not able to do, and they were trying to shut him down. Come on. So Jesus, in his super kind way, this is what, look at what he says. Verse 39, do not stop him, for one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak, uh, will, not, will not be able to speak evil of me, for the one who's not against us is for us. But hey guys, it's not, we're not competing, okay? We're all on the same team here. Verse 11, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What, is he, what, is that, what does that mean? The, the most simple gestures of putting others ahead of yourself will not be forgotten. The most simple ways that you are a servant, those things will be honored by your God because it's just like doing it to him. The imagery of that, him and that child, the unity that is there, that's the same in all the different ways that we put this into practice. And so for you and I, we all want, like we want our lives to like count, Right? But it needs to count in the ways that God wants them to count. And if you want it to count, it's about going through your life, working hard as unto the Lord, like he tells us. And as you are doing that, you're putting the needs of others ahead of your own. You're, you're looking for ways to serve the smallest of things all the way through maybe to the other end of the spectrum of things we would consider great. He just sees them all the same. So how do we apply this? I believe we just do exactly this. We ask him to show us, how, how can I live this out? How can I have this kind of great life? Instead of trying to be first, I'm cool being last and being the servant of all. To my friends, to my family, to my coworkers, to my neighbors, all the way through and all the different ways that he leads us, all the way to the margins, that this is how we do it one day at a time over and over again. All right, let me pray for us as the band comes back. God, it's a, it's a simple message that we have in this text, but it, the application can be hard because all, the, all of the, uh, I mean, if we're the plant that's growing up, all those like weeds and thorns and stuff of selfish ambition and, and pride have grown up next to us. 
and we need you to pull some weeds in the garden, so to speak. And so I pray that uh, if in ways that we're caught up in comparison and competition and, and all the ways that we have just really pursued the wrong definition of greatness, would you reroute us into truth this morning? Would you help us to aspire for that, for that kind of impact, that kind of legacy, to make that kind of a difference? Remind us, Lord, that, that it's the simplest and smallest of things uh, that, that, that gets your attention and you honor us in those ways. Every one of us in this room will apply this differently, and so I just ask that you would help us to be good stewards of what you taught your disciples that day and what you've taught us today. And um, as we sing a little bit and process through this, as have your way among us. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, let's, let's stand together. We have a couple of different ways that we respond uh, here at Living Hope. Um, we're going to sing. That'll be, that'll be a part of it. Uh, you can come and pray. We have some, uh, some of our ministers on the front row that would love to just pray with you if that would be helpful. Or you can come kneel at the steps. Um, but you'll see people moving around the room and that they may be coming to pray. They may be coming to receive communion as well. We have two lines here. Uh, you do not have to be a member of this church to receive communion. Uh, they are, are here to serve you. So if you have said yes, if you've heard Jesus say yes to you and you have said yes to him, and you want to come and, and take part in that physical reminder that his body was broken for you and his blood was poured out for you, uh, you're welcome to come as part of this response time as well. One of the things I love about this passage is that Jesus, uh, he's basically just describing how he lived his whole life. And instead of trying to be first, he's just trying to be obedient and to serve. And he wound up giving his entire life so that our need of salvation could be met. Like that's, that's the beauty of, of what he's saying is he's telling them to live sacrificial lives and he's has been modeling it and will model it in the ultimate way, not too long down the road. And so what we are celebrating is not only this new definition of greatness, but it's the fact that the greatest one has done this for us and freed us from the other kingdom into his kingdom. So as we sing about his life and his sacrifice, we're reminded that he put this into practice for us. If he hadn't have done this, uh, then we would not be here singing. We would have no song. And so as we respond, just keep those things in mind. But our, our tables are open. You can come whenever, whenever you're ready.